Well, we're going to get into the Word of God this morning. If you turn your Bibles over to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. You know, we are living in a decade, in a, in a time that uh, has come to known a cancel culture. It's happening everywhere where different things are being canceled, people are being canceled, statues are being canceled, um, who knows, you know, everything under the sun. And uh, one of the latest things that I heard today and has been going on, I really believe, for, for quite a while, but just coming to the forefront is that uh, they're looking to cancel now Thanksgiving for the different reasons that are out there. Uh, but in spite of, of, of all of that, there's an evil spirit behind it, canceling of Thanksgiving. Because what, what the strategy is, is basically, it's a movement, an evil movement, that wants to remove all remembrances of people who came and founded basically this country, and who gave thanks to God. They came because they wanted uh, religious freedoms. They wanted to worship God uh, freely without having um, uh, things uh, brought upon them and specific uh, uh, regiments upon them. They wanted freedom to worship, and they did. And uh, that's why they came. And this strategy, this spirit, it's evil behind this cancel culture of wanting to take away thanksgiving, wants to remove anything that has to do with God and people who thank God for blessings and for provision in their life as the early pilgrims did. Now, you and I as the people of God need to resist that evil spirit. We need to resist that strategy, that attitude from infecting our future generations, from impacting our children, from even coming and wanting to uh, come and, 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 and just kind of penetrate even our own thinking. We have to be very careful because it's a subtle, subtle strategy with issues uh, that uh, can be uh, injected into why people want to worship God, why we love God and thank God. Don't you thank God for His goodness here this morning, for His blessings, for His provision? You know, in, in this month, Thanksgiving, that we do uh, think about uh, spending time with family and spending time with friends, that we gather together and, and, and we do that so that we can, yes, fellowship, but yet remember God's blessings and God's provision, no matter what, what type it is, uh, what, what you have on your table, what you don't have on your table, it's all about giving thanks and remembrance to God. I want to speak about an attitude of gratitude, and I want to talk to you about, on this large screen behind me, about gratitude. And that gratitude for us needs to be a habit that we nurture every day. Gratitude is a habit that I nurture every day. That word nurture means to feed, means to address, to, 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 to uh, teach. And every day we have to teach ourselves to be thankful. We have to 
to feed ourselves through what? God's Word. So we can remember to be thankful every single day of our life because if not careful, we can become like the folks that I'm going to be talking about here in the book of Numbers, the children of Israel. They've been traveling for some time in the wilderness and, and they have just come from Mount Sinai, being in the presence of God. And what I want us to learn this morning is what God was trying to teach uh, Israel. To be grateful and to guard against ingratitude. Because that is a spirit that, if we're not careful, can begin to take a foothold in our lives. That we lose uh, that, that aspect of of gratitude for what God has done and the things that he's going to do. I read a quote. It says, The hardest arithmetic to master is that which enables us to count our blessings. Isn't that true? That it's so hard many times that we lose sight of the blessings that God has given to us and we lose sight of the things that God has done for us, our families, our homes, our marriages, our lives. And uh, we stop counting those blessings and begin to focus on those issues that maybe are, are plaguing us, those things that maybe we don't have that we want. And so God was trying to teach Israel, as we're going to look in the book of Numbers in chapter 11, to trust in God and not man in the time of crisis. And that's a, a pretty simple thought. That's a pretty simple rule, I guess, if you want to call it that. To trust in God during times of crisis and not in man. Because how many know man will always let us down somewhere or another? Humanity. Man is, is, is flesh and man is carnal in its nature and will somewhere along the line fail in uh, meeting somebody's needs or helping somebody the way they want to be helped. And so God wants to teach, uh, teach, God wants to teach Israel this truth. The other thing that he's trying to teach Israel is that no matter what you feel, what's going on around you, what's taking place in your life, that God will always supply every need that they have. And we know that to be true here this morning, don't we? That God is the supplier, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And that God wanted to teach Israel as we're going to look at, at, at their, their circumstance, this very issue that sometimes we have a problem with also. Remembering that God is faithful above all and that God will always come through for us in our Lives And no matter what they experience in this wilderness journey they're going to be going through, God will be there for them. God gave them leaders, gave them manna, gave them water to drink, gave them meat to eat. He gave them a, a promise of a land for them. And he's trying to teach them that there needs to be a trust factor that goes beyond trusting in man, but that goes and is based upon the ultimate uh, uh, place that we can put our trust in, and that's in God the Father. And so God prepared Israel. He prepared the way for them. He prepared for them in every area as they traveled to be warm, 
to be to be uh, to have uh, uh, shade during the day. I mean, everything miraculously, manna from heaven, that they needed for the journey. But yet, in 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 this area of gratitude is where they fell short. So let's read uh, our text, and we'll be going through different scriptures in the book of Numbers chapter 11, but I want to focus on the first three verses. Israel had just finished leaving Mount Sinai, and they're beginning their travels. And the first three verses, it says, now the people became like those who complain of adversity or trouble in the hearing of the Lord, and uh, when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And the people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Teberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And in verse 2, it says, Moses prayed and the fire died down. Thank God for praying leaders this morning. Thank God for praying pastors who will pray for the people of God so that God would uh, uh, intervene in their lives. And so when you read the chapter before that is when, when Israel, the glory of God fell upon uh, Israel and they were in the presence of God. And uh, they actually circled Mount Sinai twice. And during that time that they circled twice, they didn't complain once. They didn't grumble once. They didn't murmur once. Why? Well, because Mount Sinai represents two things. Number one, it represents the presence of God. They, They had a visual of the tabernacle of the presence and the glory and the power of God in a direct way as they celebrated the Passover Mount Sinai also represents the greatness of God, the glory and the holiness of God. But now, Israel is only three days away from Mount Sinai, where prior to that they were worshiping, they were praising, they were glorifying God. Now they began to complain. And this is typical when you stop and think about human nature, because there are times human nature, when we are more vulnerable to sin and to complaining and and all that goes with that than at other times. We usually are more vulnerable when we get away from the presence of God. Let me explain. It's safe to say that when we're in church, we're in the presence of God, we're around the brothers and sisters uh, uh, in, in Christ. Uh, you know, we're not being tempted as much as we are when we're outside at your job or at the mall or wherever it is we spend time during the day. When we're in the presence of God, worshiping, glorifying God, the word uh, is being spoken to us as a spirit of worship, uh, you know, we're good. Temptation really isn't there. We're not complaining usually in the presence of God. But it's when we leave the presence of God, it's when we become vulnerable, just like Israel. See, it took Israel three days after the best that God had for them, the worship, the presence, the glory, three days apart from that before they start complaining. Well, I say, forget the three days. For some, it only takes till they get to their car before they start complaining about this or that or something 
or the other. How many can say amen? <laughs> Grumbling and complaining, it's human nature. We understand that. But that we are more vulnerable to being in, in that kind of a mindset when we are outside of the presence of God. But we need to remember that what this building represents is a place where we come and worship God. This building is not God. But we come into this facility, beautiful facility, thank God, and we glorify, we praise, we thank God for what he's done in our lives. And we need to realize that when we leave this, this structure, we still, God is still with us. That God, wherever we go, he is there no matter where we are. And that when we are, are vulnerable, it's what we need to do is to make sure that we remember what God has done in our lives. So, so many great things that he's done. And the one way to do that, and I, I inject this into my sermon here, is to make sure that you start every day reading your word before your first cup of coffee, before you do anything. What you do is you get your word out and you read. What that will do is it will cause you to start to meditate on the things of God. And you start to think about how blessed we are to have God in our lives, His Son, Jesus Christ. How blessed we are to have our sins forgiven, that God has given us another day to breathe. Praise God. He's given us another day to do what we need to do, to go where we want to go, to, to be involved in what we want to be involved in. Thank God for that. And when you read the Word, you realize that. The best way to, to, to not be a complainer, a, a griper, a moaner, is to get the Word of God in you, and then you'll be grateful. And we're going to see how Israel, as they separated themselves from Mount Sinai, that they began to, to grumble and complain, and God wanted to teach them some lessons, and he wanted to, to let them know that when I correct you, it's because I'm trying to get you to mature and to grow. And correction comes from God according to our maturity levels, our, according to our relationship with God. Everybody has their different maturity levels than in Christ. We know that. Not everybody gets saved and has the same path that they walk, has the same growth patterns uh, spiritually. Everybody is different according to their uh, relationship with God. We know that. And so uh, in Numbers chapter 11, we, we read them grumbling and complaining, but before that, that wasn't the first time they complained. In Genesis or Exodus, I'm sorry, chapter 15. Remember the bitter water and how they complained to Moses that the water was bitter? And they started complaining about the water and God speaks to Moses and says, okay, get that tree, throw it in the water, and when you do, the water's going to become sweet. And uh, the water turned to sweet and the people started praising God and they loved that. But see, there was no discipline, no correction in, in our text, in, in, in the book of Numbers. I mean, God brought down fire. And judgment. Why? Well, because they'd been traveling for a while. In, in the book of Exodus, they had just started their journey. And so they were kind of like born again, again, right there. This was the new experience with them 
in, in Christ. And so this is the journey that they were starting, and God said, okay, I get it. You're new. This is all new to you. This traveling, all that you're going through, I, I understand you're still young, so I'm not going to correct you this time. I'm going to give you a break. But what you need to do is start maturing. You need to start growing and uh, coming to me so that I can help you through those things uh, that you're going through. I'll give you a break. But next time, and we read about the next time here in the book uh, of Numbers in chapter 11. So what, what happened between uh, Exodus and Numbers? They didn't accept the discipline of God. How many know we're like that sometimes? When God deals with us, he, he works some things through us, and He corrects us. He expects us to change. He expects us to learn from our mistakes, etc., and so on. But then sometimes we say, well, you know, maybe he didn't mean what he said. Maybe, maybe that wasn't that, that correction. You know, that was just nothing. And that's where Israel was. And they continue to complain even after the first three verses. When you read in the, next, the very next verse, they complain about the, the lack of meat. And then the next chapter in chapter 14... In the first four verses, they complain about being stuck in the wilderness with giants, and giants are, are going to kill us. And then two chapters later, in chapter 16, they complained about Moses and Aaron and how some of their friends died because of a plague. And then in chapter 20, they complain again about the lack of water, and uh, it goes on and on. You see, we have to be careful that we're human. I get it. Everybody is going to complain somewhere along the line. We all have, we're human. We all have issues in our job. We have them in our homes. We even have them in church, whatever, with people, etc. and so on. But we have to be careful about a complaining spirit because there's truth behind it. Number one, it's contagious. You know, we just came out of a, a very contagious virus, and it was tragic. Damaged families, it, 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 it broke hearts, you know, it, it, it changed society in the way people live and, and interact with one another. Had an impact. And I want to tell you something, that a, con a complaining spirit and a whining spirit has also detrimental consequences to people's lives. In verse 4, it says the foreign rabble, which were outsiders, who were traveling with the Israelites, began to crave the good things of Egypt. And uh, the people of Israel now also began to complain. You see the, con the contagion that's taking place? You know, yeah, the COVID-19 and the COVID-21. Well, it started out with a COVID with with a complaining 19, and now it's going. The variants are coming up because these people are now Israel is complaining too. It says, but now our appetites are gone, and all we ever see is what manna. Wow, they're complaining about the miracle of God. You see, complaining usually starts with the carnal person. And if it continues to go unchecked, 
it'll begin to spread to good people. And as I said, we're all human. We all have our issues. But it is sad when the person who publicizes their discontent to others, uh, what the consequences and how that can affect other people's lives because you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're dealing with already, and now what you've given to them is something else uh, that now they've been uh, subjected to. Complaining spirit is contagious. It also has a selective memory. And let me tell you, I'm not speaking about this church. I'm speaking about all the churches outside of New Harvest. Just to make it clear, okay? A complaining spirit has a selective memory. Look at verse 5. What do they say? Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Wow. Selective memory. Someone said dissatisfaction comes when our attention shifts from what we have to what we don't have. Isn't that true? That's when we get dissatisfied. You ever seen children playing? And they're all in a group, and they're having fun, and everybody's laughing and playing, and they're having a good time. And then here comes a kid from outside with a new, different toy that these kids have. What do these kids do? I want that. Right? They're now dissatisfied with what they have. Now they want what that kid has. That was going on with the people of Israel is that they looked at what they used to have, how it used to be, how, uh, how much fun I used to have, what I, where I was able to go, and what I was able to wear, and what I was able to eat and drink, and all the rest of it, and, and now I can't. All I have is this. That's amazing. If they remember the melons, the leeks, the onions. But what about this? What about this, Israel? People of God... Don't you remember the slavery you were in, the bondage? Don't you remember the oppression that was upon your life and your family? Don't you remember the pain, the injustices that you had to put up with? Don't you remember praying and asking God to deliver you? And don't you remember how thankful you were when God set you free and brought you out of Egypt? What about that? You see, a complaining spirit has a very selective memory. And we have to be careful as men and women of God that we don't allow that selective memory to start to work in us and we start to think about this and think about that and forget about the blessing of God that we have. Forget about how God saved your marriage, saved your wife, saved your husband, saved your children, gave you a job, turned you around, put you on the right path. What about that? Complaining spirit only remembers what it wants to remember. And then it's not satisfied with what is available. In verse 6. But now our appetite is gone, and there's nothing to look at except this manna. (laughs) 
You see, God provided everything for them in this travel. Everything they needed, everything they could ever need to, to make it to the promised land, God gave it to them. Even manna. They were being fed, they were being provided for. So what was wrong? Well, I'll tell you what was wrong. They weren't complaining because they were hungry. It didn't say that. They were complaining because they wanted a new menu. They wanted a new menu. We're tired of manna. We're tired of this stuff. God, can we have something new? Didn't that happen to us sometimes? We start complaining because... You're going to sing that song again? <laughs> that, that guy's going to speak? Can't he put somebody new in there? I mean, uh, services, I mean, can't we do something? I mean, is it, why, why are we doing that? Why, why, blah, blah. We want a new menu. God, can I have a new husband? <laughs> I want a new menu, a new wife. How about new kids, God? Please, give me some new kids, please. I'll let somebody else preach. They're doing a good job. (laughs) Because it's true. It's human nature. We always crave that which we don't have. And we're tired of what's available. Every morning, God blessed Israel. Manna was there at their feet. You see, people don't complain because they have not, but they always complain because they don't see God's provision according to what they want. Complaining spirit also wants to be heard by others. Isn't that true? Did you ever stand in the mirror and complain to yourself? (laughs) I don't think that ever happens, right? Doesn't happen. We, we, We find somebody else. Look at verse 10. Moses heard all the families standing where? In the doorways of their tents, whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. And Moses was also very aggravated. Why were they whining? Where were they whining? Back in the closet where nobody could hear them? No. Were they like in this other room or just by their, their little family talking about issues and maybe trying to resolve them? No. They were at the front door with the door open so that everybody passing by could begin to hear them whining. Why? Because whiners love an audience. That's the bottom line. A complainer, a whiner, looks for someone to sit and listen to them whine. And they say, let me whine to you, and I would appreciate it if you would whine back with me. And then after we finish whining, maybe we can go out and have some wine together. (laughs) See, the difference between a concerned person and a complaining person is this. A concerned person expresses their view to the right person and then leaves it with them. A complaining person expresses their view to every person they can reach 
and never leaves it alone. That's the difference between a, co a concerned person and a complaining person. So, God gives us two buckets in life. One bucket, filled with water. The other bucket, filled with gasoline. And we all have choices of which bucket we're going to use uh, when we feel like complaining. We can either get that bucket of water, pour it out, resolve the issue and get it done, or we can add fuel to the fire and begin to let it expand and uh, to destroy other people's lives. We had that happen a little while ago. A whining spirit has its roots in self-centeredness. People complain because they wanted some meat. In verse 32, and the people spent all day and all night and all the next day gathering the quail and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Now, it doesn't say they gathered quail for everybody else, if everybody else could have it. They gathered as much quail as they could for themselves. They were selfish. Now, we know the story. God made them eat so much quail, stuff it down, they got sick from it because of their selfishness. A complaining spirit has its roots in self-centeredness. That's basically because it's all about me, what I want, what I feel, what I think. That's, a, that's, that's why people whine, and that's why people complain. And we have to be careful as we not only enter into this month, of course, of thanksgiving and being grateful to God for what he's done in our lives and the blessings that he's given to us, but yet every single day that we are alive and taking breath by the grace of God, make sure that we uh, nurture an attitude of gratitude in our lives, no matter what it takes, so we don't become subject to a complaining spirit. And in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 33, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Katava, because they were buried, they buried there the people who had been greedy. We have to be careful as our music ministry makes their way up this morning. I know that we all have our wants and our, our desires. I get that. We're human. God created us. And those many times emotions that, that we have to be careful do not get out of hand. Because it doesn't only affect us. It, only, it doesn't only affect uh, our immediate uh, circle of friends, family. But it can begin to impact, as, as James says, a little fire, a little spark, a little spark can cause a huge destructive fire. No one's perfect. That's why God was teaching Israel, don't just trust in man. I get it. You have respect. I get that. But when the bottom line comes, you need to trust me, God said, because I'm the one that's going to see you through it. 
I'm the one that's going to get you there. And what we need to do is to make sure that our focus is constantly and always, no matter what, on thank you, Jesus. On thank you, Lord. Like Philippians, Paul writes, think on these things. The good things, the blessings of God, the provision of God, the miracles of God. Don't worry about what everybody else doesn't has or doesn't have. Don't worry about what other people are doing or not doing. Focus on being grateful. For God, thank you so much for salvation, for forgiving my sins, for putting my name in your book of life. What a privilege it is to have our names in the book of life. And as our heads are bowed this morning and our eyes are closed for just a few moments.